Welcome to the Minimalist CEO Podcast with Nate Lindquist. Nate created the Minimalist CEO Method to help business owners redefine and grow their businesses by finding new demand in places they never thought to look where there's no competition. By following his opposite thinking strategy, Nate's coaching clients have grown their business up to 40% in just two months and created tens of millions of dollars in revenue. Nate himself has launched more than 140 businesses. On the show, Nate interviews successful business owners and experts who share the secrets you can use to have a better business and a better life. Hey everyone, Nate Lindquist here with the Minimal CEO Podcast. I'm excited to introduce our new guest today. It's a great opportunity to really get inside the mind of someone who's at this point, operated her own business, Laurel Buys Houses. She's out in Sacramento, California. Uh, she's been doing this for more than 20 years. So we're kindred spirits. I'm very familiar with the real estate business, having worked with my wife on building Flipchick Wealth Academy. But having this guest, introducing you to this guest is really fun because uh, we've got someone here who's made tons of mistakes, had tons of success, is completely committed to helping people. And as a matter of fact, she's actually got a book that she's written called Your Next Move that we're going to be learning about. Let me introduce you to Laurel Sagan and I'll let her tell a little bit more about what's it all about. Welcome, Laurel. Thanks for being on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to learn about this. I'm always happy to share my story with people and see who it can empower. Awesome. Gosh, you know, I've done a lot of things in my life, so I'm happy to share. That's great. Well, I think the best thing I'd love to ask you a question about is, you know, with the experience that I know some of our listeners and I've had in the home services space, in service businesses, and also in the flipping and real estate investing space, tell us about yourself, how you got started in your construction general contracting business and buying homes and flipping them. How'd you get into that? Well, is in 99, I was... Uh making more money than I'd ever made in my life as a technical recruiter because I'd always been in the nonprofit space, working for nonprofits. So I rarely made over 20,000 a year. And then in one month, I made 20,000 technical recruiting Mm -hmm. and decided that this was much better, right? Went on a bunch of vacations, had a great time, but I could see that this pathway was not going to last forever. I mean, it was an unsustainable for the economy. I knew a crash was coming. Let's put it that way. In the tech which, now, which part was unsustainable? People paying me this kind of money, big companies paying this kind of money, robbing one engineer from this company and putting him in this company and getting these huge fees. And it was Y2K. And then after Y2K, the internet starting and it was, it just didn't seem sustainable. And I was right. I was, uh, at least I didn't take stock for payment because there was a lot of crashing in 2005. Yeah. But in the meantime, I did this program called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Uh-huh. I read a book, Retire Rich, Retire Young. And I'd all, I had started off way back in my teens as a journeyman carpenter, but uh, it was tough as for a girl back in the seventies and eighties to get jobs as a carpenter. So went into the nonprofit world and then so I started buying houses up in, I was in the Bay Area at the time, but my family's all in Sacramento. Started buying rentals in Sacramento one at a time and with partners and doing the board game that they have, the rat race game that Rich Dad Poor Dad has. And, okay. You know, started buying and selling and found out I just loved fixing up houses. Yeah. I loved the fixing up part. I hated the landlord part, but I loved the fixing up part. Okay. So that's how I got started. So you rich know, dad, poor dad on, was the trigger for you. Is that right? 
Yeah, it taught me about real estate. I never knew about real estate before that. So you saw that at a time where there's a downturn in the economy, where a lot of the dot-coms were crashing. You saw an opportunity because you read the book, you were inspired. You're like, no, I understand tools. You know, I've done carpentry. You know how to fix stuff up. Then you made the move and you went out and bought well, your first- At one time, I had 30 rentals. Okay. Right? So I had about 30 rentals, some with partners. Before you um, flipped your first house, you had 30 rentals? Yeah, I didn't flip any houses in the beginning. Okay. I was going for, because in the beginning, I knew I was still making a lot of money. I could buy all these houses, right? I could qualify for these loans. I could buy these houses. I think I only sold one house the whole time and because it turned out to be in a really, really, really scary area. Yeah. But yeah, the rest of, we were buying them and selling them. And then the big real estate crash happened. That's when I got hurt. Okay. Badly. So at one point I was worth like $8 million on paper. Mm-hmm. And then I was worth, after the crash, everything settled out, I was worth negative $1 million. Ooh, yeah, that's tough. <laughs> in <So>. there. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when I started flipping houses was after that. Okay. Yeah. So let's take, you know, the knowledge of the flipping business and kind of thinking back, you know, I could tell the story, I could share the story that my wife shares about her first flip and why she did it. And it's such, it's to me, every time I hear those stories, it's like, you know, it's exciting, it's inspiring. You know, my first flip story isn't all that exciting. I would love to, for you to share that turning point moment where you actually did your first flip. If you could just walk us through that and, and what that before, what you felt like before, and then what it was like when you handed over the keys in, in the house and you did your flip and got the check. Okay, great. Well, I got to tell you, my first two flips were not good. Okay, perfect. So uh, we thought the market would, I don't know, in Sacramento, California was one of the worst hit places, right? And we knew there was a downturn uh, when the downturn was coming, mm -hmm. but we thought it'd be like 25%. Then in 2008, there was this downturn, right? And all of a sudden the bank started selling and I heard about REOs, right? REOs, buy yourself an REO. So we bought an REO, my business partner who's still with me at that time, he was my real estate agent. Can you explain that just for the listeners? Just for, I, don't, I know, oh, you might a, know, but go ahead. Yeah, it's bank owned properties. When the bank forecloses on a property, and it's, so it's real estate owned by the bank. So okay. REO. And we bought it at what we thought was a great price because it was like 40% of the top of the market, right? We were going to fix it up and sell it. And we put like $100,000 in it. And it was beautiful. And we did some of my best work was done. We opened it up. It was beautiful. We did two at one time, right? In Woodland, California. It's a little suburb outside of Sacramento. And one was a 1986 home right? Mm -hmm. We put them back on the market and the market was still going down. So we were dropping our price every, anyways, we ended up spending, writing a check for $126,000 by the time we sold those two houses to get out of them. We just, we saw it. And you know, the heck of wow. it was the, the one house, the 1996 house that we did, we won awards at the city for the restoration that we did on that house. Today, it's, there's a big picture of that house as a like a preservation house. It won a, a several awards several years in a row. But we lost $87,000 on that house. <laughs> so what did you learn in that process? Well, I mean, it's like walking is controlled falling, building a business right? failing, same thing. What did you learn? Well, one, I love the process, of course, and we really needed to understand the market much better, right? Mm -hmm. The next few ones we did, because we had to make up that money, that was not the bank's money. That was our money, right? 
we were way smarter about the next ones we did. And we waited for the market to calm down. And then we looked at who was buying houses at that time, right? Okay. And we went after those people. So we did a bunch of rentals and sold them to Bay Area people with lots of money in the Bay Area as rentals with renters in them and stuff. And we we worked our way out within three or four years. But So you made little business portfolios out of the properties. Yeah, we just went and bought all these bank properties like for 65,000, put 20 into them, sold them for 120 with renters in them to, you know, rich people from the Bay Area and, um, you know, worked our way back. So, yeah, we did like 30 of them in one year. It was crazy. So now you grew your business to over a million dollars a year Mm -hmm. in in real estate. What are some of the things that you did to get your business to that point? Well, you know, my business partner and I have very different skill sets but the same values. So I have to tell you, partnering with people can be a blessing or a curse, right? Yep. And I, during the crashing times, I had partnered with a lot of different people. And the only partner that really came out of that strong with me was my partner, Dan, right? We had the same values. We kept working. We kept, you know, he didn't blame me. I didn't blame him. We did those two flips together and we still didn't blame each other. And we just kept being positive and creating. And then we created systems and we learned from other people. You know, we didn't try to reinvent the wheel all the time. We tried to learn from other people. And one of our values was always to take care of the people who work for us, right? Okay. And that I think was our strength for the longest time. We had our crew, our crew is the same crew for our construction company. We had them for 15 years before we decided to get out of the actual everyday flipping business. But then we ended up, we always were, I don't know how to say this part, but we're like white collar workers all the time, right? Blue collar workers. I mean, work, 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 work. Until we decided to start doing higher end properties and letting the team work for us instead of us doing all the work, Mm -hmm. creating a team that worked with us to do the work and worked on the business rather than working on the houses all the time. Does that make sense? Yeah. What that was, was hard that, for us to learn. Yeah. What was it that got you to make that switch? Because, you know, in the business that I'm in as a consultant to CEOs and business owners and founders who are dealing with like, they know the systems in their head. They're constantly reventing the wheel. Everything falls back on their shoulders. One of the first things that we do is help strip away all of the confusion and the chaos by getting them focused and putting systems in place right away. And immediately you find out they get seven hours, 10 hours, 15 hours of free time. They're like, oh my God, now what do I do? So what was it for you that got you to that place where you knew, first, you knew you had to get systems. Second, you actually knew how to implement it and do it. Like, how did you figure that out? So Dan got married and started having children and needed to be home for the kids. Before that, we just worked like crazy people. And we're like, wait a second, there's got to be a better way, right? And he really wanted to be home to send the kids off, you know, to school and pick them up. So that was one thing. And then we just really was like, you know, I turned like 55, I think at the time. And it was just like, I can't work like this for the rest of my life, right? I can't be on the job sites. I can't be going to Home Depot. If we could do more than one project at a time, we could actually make some money, right? It was like, we were working harder than the crew, but we weren't working smart. And so we went to a couple masterminds and that's where we started learning how to about putting these systems together by uh, working with some really great mastermind groups and getting more education. I always was part of the RIAs, but really started taking it to heart what they were saying. Yeah. It really yeah. just came, we had change in our lives, right? 
Yeah. Well, with real estate that I own, I know going out to the areas where you have properties and, and talking to other people in the areas, keeping a beat on the market's important. And uh, just for the listeners is a real estate investment association. And you kept your finger on the pulse of what was going on, but then the things you were hearing, the tips they were sharing, they started to sink in. Right. You know, and we looked at what we're the best at and what we could be the best at, right? Mm-hmm. And then dividing up things and, and hiring people to do things we weren't good at, but that needed to happen, right? And like, we started like, talking like, about having $1,000 an hour tasks, right? Yeah, as opposed yeah. to the 15 or $20 an hour or $30, $50 an hour tasks for crew, even $75 or $100 an hour tasks, you really shouldn't be touching if you're building a million dollar plus business. Exactly. And, you know, having it be profitable, <laughs> make sure it's profitable, right? Right. And that was a big deal for us. So we've actually only been really profitable for the last five years. Before that, we were just squeaking by. And a lot of times, Rob and Peter to pay Paul in not getting out of debt, right? So yeah. really looking at what, you know, Dan says his whole job is to keep me from doing stuff that doesn't make us money, right? So what was the first process that you put in place? The first process we put in place was... That really worked. That really freed that you. really both. worked. Well, we decided to not flip as much into wholesale more. Okay. Okay. Went and learned systems for doing that, for not depending on real estate agents for our properties. Okay. Right. We needed to buy our properties at a lower. So the first process was to the the gray market, the off market properties. You understood how to in wholesaling tie up the property and make them available to investors. Right. Well, that started with us just, hey, we can't keep paying top dollar for the property and then fixing them up and trying to sell them, right? If we could get them off market, then we could fix them up and sell them and make more money, right? Right. And uh, how do we do that? So we took a, a mastermind. We spent like 20 grand, which was an, ins- you know, just seemed insane to us, but we learned the processes and put the systems in and then just kept tweaking them for ourselves. And once we started getting properties, we realized we could sell them for as much to somebody else, flip the contract rather than the property to people for as much money as we were going to make fixing them up. Yeah. Yeah. That's now we still were fixing up properties. Mm-hmm. Some of them, especially the ones that you know, were a little higher end because people were a little scared of those, but we were doing awesome. Mm-hmm. So what's the tip? I mean, you've, yes. you've, you've been through masterminds, you built a million dollar plus business You've seen consistent profitability for the last five years. Sounds like you enjoy what you do. So what advice would you give to someone who's in business? Now, just so you know the audience, we have people in the home services businesses. We have people who, people in a lot of different fields who just provide services to other people. And a lot of times what we're seeing is they're frustrated. They're overwhelmed. Everything's falling back on them. They don't have time for family. They're not seeing enough cash flow. So if you could give them a sense of not only maybe the light at the end of the tunnel, but something they can go do, like just make sure you take care of this. Here's something that's essential that you might've missed. What would you point them to? One, you have to be passionate about what you're doing. Okay. I love talking to people about their houses and their situations and come out with solutions for them, right? Mm-hmm. Turned out, I loved that. And I loved it more than even fixing up houses. So this is right? your calling. You feel like yeah. you're called to do this. So first of all, and once I figured that out, then how do you figure out how to get anything that's not that off your plate, right? So the mindset of the $1,000 an hour task, right? Yeah. First thing we did was hire an assistant 
$20 an hour to do those things that I didn't need to do. And then hiring, a, remember that there are people who are more talented than yourself in certain things. So hiring a project manager to manage the actual flips instead of me managing the flips, it's huge, right? Because I was always thinking that nobody could do it as good as me. Finesse, right? Oh, I got the finesse. Or, you know, oh my God, it's my money, you know, mm-hmm. you know, but allowing someone to do it, training them to do it. You know, once you teach somebody to do something one time, they can do that over and over and over again for you. Mm-hmm. And we call that the freedom supplier. And I have to tell you that I have more time now. My relationship, you know, my marriage is stronger. My family life is stronger. I have more free time because I'm only doing those things which are important to do. Mm-hmm. And we're expanding because, you know, we've hired some young people who are better at marketing than me and are better at, you know, a kid that my assistant, Sam, is actually my boss because she tells me where to go and what to do. <laughs> she's very, very organized. I am not the most organized human being on the planet. And it frees me up to do that, which was I'm passionate about, which was to talk to people, to solve problems for them, think of out-of-the-box solutions or sometimes just hold people's hands while they make tough life decisions. Yeah. And I get paid an insane amount of money for doing that. Mm-hmm. Well, you got a lot of leverage. exact business, huh? Laurel, you have a lot of leverage. And what I love about what you're sharing is that having, you know, working with over the last 30 years, thousands of business owners, the pattern, what I lived and the mistakes I made early in the game, and I'm sure the mistakes you made and the things we're talking about now, they're all the same thing. People are running into the same mistakes of, you know, I call it the how versus the who. If you ask how, you damn well better find a who, or you're going to have what I call huge overwhelm and waiting, H-O-W, how. But if you get the who, it's who can help out, W-H-O. And as soon as I started implementing that, I started having businesses grow. And once I figured that out and also burned everything down and lost everything financially, I learned that I didn't have to have the answer. But beyond that, I could let go of everything that I thought was my BS, my big story, and I could just do what I was called to do. And I created something called the gifts formula that allows me to establish criteria for whatever I'm going to work on, align my values with it, align my calendar with it, and have a blast being able to have you know a podcast and spend this time with you, being able to invest in bringing your lessons and these stories, these great stories to people who can go and say, you know what, that's what I needed to hear today. The one thing I needed to hear, I'm going to go implement that. And that leads me to the next question, Laurel, before we wrap up, if someone could go implement one thing, just one very specific, go do this. This is the linchpin. I love talking about linchpins. You go track this one change right now and a bunch of things are going to start to open up for you. What would be the one thing? I say, take the one thing you think you can't give up in the business, right? So for me, it was hiring a bookkeeper, right? I thought nobody was going to take as good care of my money as me. But you don't like doing it. So you got to not like doing it. I always was putting it off. I never knew what I was spending. I would sit down and torture myself for a whole weekend. It'd be time to do the taxes. And I still hadn't done finished like it'd be July and I hadn't finished the year before's books and I had to get it to the a CPA before August, right? And it's a corporation, right? I But I was like, nobody was going to take the minute I hired a bookkeeper. I actually think that probably the most important thing was hiring the bookkeeper to make myself profitable. 
I remember sitting there, you describe it perfectly, sitting there in, I had 11 companies at one point, sitting there opening piles of mail. I go, if I go back to the train wreck that that became, sitting at the desk between five and 10 at night and opening mail and inputting it into my QuickBooks online, not online, at that point it was just software and floppy disks, but inputting it, getting it all prepared, bringing it down to my accountant each month, and having them say, this is a disaster. What are you doing? You know, it was either you're paying yourself too much. In this case, this isn't a business expense. Everything was a disaster. It was like a shoebox business, you know, every month or every quarter. And it was like, I sat there sweating, knowing I had at that time, the marketing firm, the sign company, the illustration firm. I had uh, team members who needed me to approve drawings. I had people ready to sign up for new projects, getting ready to send me a check. All I had to do was hit send on an email, but I hadn't finished a couple of things on it. All these things that eventually mostly needed to be handed off. And I'm sitting there. Well, I could hear the fun out on the streets at night. I hear music and people laughing. And I'm a business owner working 100 hours a week to avoid working 40 for someone else. And then opening my own freaking mail and inputting invoices, stressing myself out, feeling the lack of life and possibility all around me when all I had to do was have my one focus and turn everything else into rituals and then hand it off to people with a simple set of instructions and a little bit of accountability. It's painful. And you know, if I had spent that one weekend, just which I finally did, setting up all the rules that I wanted, setting the system up, mm -hmm. I talked to somebody who had a bookkeeper in my business from Utah. How do you make sure your bookkeeper doesn't, you know, and uh, boy, I tell you, I think that's maybe the most important thing I ever did. That's awesome. That's a great thing. And it was advice. the one thing I thought I could never give up. Yeah, that's awesome. This has been really helpful, Laurel. I think what I love about what you shared is that you just get right to the point. You shared some good stories. And I, what I love about it is in the short amount of time we have, this automatically forces us to have a conversation about, would you be willing to come on again and share some other stories? Because you're gonna, they're going to pop up like, oh, I want to share this. I know that would help. Or I got this other story over here. So I'd love to have you come back at another point. Would you be open to that? Absolutely. Whenever you like, for sure. If I can contribute, I'm always happy to. Awesome. Well, Laurel, thank you very much again for being on the podcast, the Minimal CEO Podcast. All right. Thank you for having me. So real quick, everyone, uh, that was Laurel Sagan. We're going to put some information if you want to get in touch with her down in the show notes. Absolutely brilliant. Very transparent and honest about what she did to get into the flipping business, starting out as a woman doing contracting work and carpentry work, and then building a, a business that's you know consistently getting over a million dollars in revenue, very profitable, living the life she loves. And now you can go out and get your bookkeeper and get your virtual assistant, whoever you're going to get, free yourself up because uh, we got some great tips from someone who's living it right now. So thanks for listening, everyone on the podcast. We will be back soon with another episode. And this has just been a blast. I'm glad that you're here. Make sure you subscribe.